0: Welcome to the Speak as a Leader podcast, where you learn how to speak fearlessly on stage, on camera, and in person. I'm Nasheen, a leadership communications coach from the Fortune 500 world. And on Speak as a Leader, I talk to leaders from corporate giants like Amazon and Google to startup founders, visionaries, TEDx speakers, and even leaders who have worked at the Pentagon. You will get to know how these leaders learned the art and science of speaking fearlessly on any stage. Let's get started. Don Davis is the Senior Vice President at the New York Shipping Exchange, and he's been in the shipping industry his whole professional life. For me, he's a classic success story in corporate America. He started off as a customer service representative and worked his way up to senior VP in 24 years. He joins us at Speak as a Leader to talk about the hardest lessons he learned in leadership along the way. Let's get started. Hi, Dawn. Thank you so much for coming on the Speak as a Leader podcast. I was especially excited about this conversation because you were introduced to me by our good friend, Lin Wong, who I interviewed for an earlier episode. And not just that, but you're in New York and you've been in New York for a very long time. And as I was telling you earlier, it's a city very, very close to my heart. So I take every opportunity to talk to New Yorkers and revisit a part of my past that I was so attached to. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us.
1: Yeah, great. Um, I'm excited to be here. Um, I love this topic, actually. So really looking forward to sharing some time. And uh, I'm sure Lynn is listening. And uh, thanks to, to Lynn for introducing and connecting us so we could be doing this here.
0: Thank you, Lynn. You're awesome. So let's dive right in. So when I say the words, speak as a leader, what comes to mind?
1: Well, I mean, what what's top of mind for me is when you say that, is that as a leader, I think we have to be mindful that um, that's our role at an organization. So you have to be mindful of the impact that what you're saying and when you're in these leadership roles, um, it might be viewed a bit differently by your audience than Let's say somebody who isn't in the same type of leadership role. Um, so you just have to be really conscious and aware and present of how your audience might be perceiving your message. And, you know, I think that sometimes people aren't always aware of their environment. And I'll give you a for instance when I think about this. But um, recently I've become more aware of how like a male might communicate. And um, one of the things that uh, has been told to me is like, you know, uh, these male leaders, they they use a lot of sports metaphors. And me as a woman, I don't even know what you're talking about when you start talking about like inside baseball, or I don't know, whatever your uh, Monday morning quarterback or these sort of things. And um, I think we have a responsibility as a leader just to have this audience awareness of like, are we saying things that might alienate part of our audience, and that people can't relate to that. If I'm going to speak as a leader, I have a responsibility to understand that there's something in the messaging, which I might have grown up with, or might feel familiar with, um, with my friends or something that just doesn't work when you're speaking as a leader. So you know we're making progress in this space. But I think it's something that, um, you know, from a messaging standpoint, it's helpful to share that with people, because I think some people aren't always thinking about this. And they just say like, this is my role. I can stand up. It's just a one-way communication and I leave and I don't even ask for feedback.
0: I love that. That's really challenging. Those traditional notions that we have of leadership, perhaps those outdated notions that we may have grown up with over the past few decades, that being a leader is this, you know, basically being on this, this platform and people listening to you and you being self-important and just like you said, having this one-way conversation, like my job is to deliver my vision and impart this wisdom and show the way. And none of that is true anymore. And I am hopeful that I'm right when I'm saying this, that if people are, if there are leaders like that, they are going to be dinosaurs very soon if they aren't already, which which is a very happy thought in my head.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, my perspective on this is that there's a lot of work to be done here. Um, I don't know when we can declare victory there, but I think just by talking about it, it should help extend the reach to some people. And hopefully at least one person listening to this is gonna say like, wow, I didn't really think about that. Maybe I have a responsibility to do that as I go forward.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's the hope. One of the reasons why I was really excited to talk to you is because you are this fresh, innovative voice in a traditional industry. So I would love for us to go a little bit back and go a little deeper and talk about your past, a little bit about your journey and what got you here.
1: Sure. Well... I've been in the um let's say ocean container shipping industry now I guess 26ish years or so so it's been a while you know my journey which I think is an important point I started as a customer service person at the container shipping line Hapag-Lloyd and uh, basically I was a uh, an order taker I was taking bookings and I remember what that was like because I was so excited to be a manager like I always wanted to manage be a manager I always wanted to manage people And then I start managing people. I'm like, oh, this is not as easy as I thought, actually. Um, It's somehow easier to manage myself because I know what I'm going to do. Maybe I have the self-discipline, but my group did not perform the same way I wanted to. So I started to get humbled about how challenging it it is to be a good manager. Um, And then uh, in 2012, the company called me and said, hey, we got a great opportunity for you. We want you to run this US flag division. So we had a group uh, that supported the military um, because there's spaces scattered all over the world and they need their supplies and, you know, peanut butter and things you can't get when you live in Europe. So now I work at a startup in New York City, New York Shipping Exchange. Um, I've been doing this for two and a half years, and now I'm the senior vice president of what we call NVO experience. Um, Done a lot of different things, and um, it wasn't always the way I thought I would go, but I wouldn't change a thing because um, sometimes things you don't choose for yourself are healthy for you. And uh, I've learned a lot along the way.
0: Thank you for taking us through that. That really was a very, very interesting and very rich journey. And of course, the first question that comes to mind is, what made you stick with the same industry? That's (laughs) from from your very first job to now, you haven't left the industry.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's crazy, right? Um, But I think, for me, I think the industry was like fascinating for me. Um, I really didn't know anything about uh, ocean shipping until I started on the carrier side. Um, you know, when I was in college, I was an international business major. So I thought I was gonna work at like McDonald's because they're based in Oakbrook, Illinois or Abbott Labs or somewhere. And um, like running their international division or I thought I was gonna be an ambassador, US ambassador um, stationed in France or something. And um, you know none of those things happened, but this ocean carrier position opened up. And I'm like, well, what is this all about? And then I started taking orders for like Archer Daniels Midland, Pioneer Hybrid, uh, Caterpillar, um, Ford Motor Company. And I'm like, wow, you really touch a lot of different industries. And then you start to learn a little bit more about supply chain. And then you start to learn a little bit more about how, I, how a government can affect shipping and how weather can affect shipping. And so it was always very interesting to me. And every, I would say two to three years, I was changing jobs, um, either through a promotion or more responsibility. So I kept moving along um, and it was always very exciting for me.
0: It's fascinating because if we were sitting in the nineties or even maybe in the early two thousands, this wouldn't have been a question because it was pretty much the norm back then, I think. One of uh, my boss's bosses, um, when I was at Procter and Gamble, he had come into P&G, and it was his, as his first job. And he was he would eventually retire, maybe twenty five years later, and that was pretty normal. When I got into the corporate world back in two thousand six, that was still fairly normal to hear. Like, oh, this person actually came in as an intern. Now they're retiring as a director. And that was a success story. And no one batted an eyelid and thought, why did this person stick around for so long? It was more a badge of honor. I do think that times have changed and in a good and a bad way, I would say that change, changing things, changing things up, changing jobs up is more normal now than it was before because Earlier, you probably remember this. It 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 would be something to actually have to explain on a CV if you change jobs too quickly. It would be a sign of oh, this person isn't reliable. They're not loyal. We can't count on them. They they're too fickle. And I think and hope that that has changed now, and someone can easily explain like, look, I was in this role. This wasn't a good fit for me. The culture wasn't great. I just needed to leave. So I left in three months and and that's that. And that's an answer that would be acceptable in a job interview. So I find that fascinating how how times change. And it's great because you've, you've seen trends and times change over the years, especially in your industry, in the shipping industry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the industry, I mean, it's a pretty old industry. And I think when you say old, it's one that is very traditional, hasn't gone through a lot of change. Uh, technology has been uh, very limited. And I think when people think of the industry, that's the things that are top of mind. I think it has changed, it started to change. Um, but also this idea that um, you know you stay in one place for a long time and if you didn't, it was bad. I think it's like now the reverse of that, like if you've been at one place for a long time companies may not want you because they're like, well, I don't Mm -hmm. think you can handle the change of being somewhere else. And, um, you know, I think, you know, people shouldn't necessarily be judged by one or the other. I think you have to look at the merits of the person and just talk to them and have a conversation and assess them that way. Don't just say, well, you're here, this place, or you moved around. Because I think in either case, it can be valuable. Like if you're in one place for a long time, but you're trying different things, you're managing different functions, it can Mm -hmm. sometimes feel like a different job. I mean, I think I can think of times where I was in the same job and I had a different boss and it felt like a different job. So like there's things that can affect you in a way where you're you're maybe getting something out of it is changing your perspective. And the question for me is, are you learning? Are you evolving as a person? Because I think there's an assumption today that if you stay in one place for a long time, you're not really evolving and growing. And I don't know that that's true. I mean, you're definitely changing if uh, you're changing companies, but then you could say like, well, you're never satisfied or am I only going to get two years and who knows the answer to these questions. So I think everyone's going to have their own story. And I think either can work for me.
0: Yeah, I think what you pointed towards that, hopefully we're moving in a direction where we're judging things less by our own preconceived notions and biases that will eventually lead to us just looking at everything in on a case by case basis and being intentional about leaving behind the biases that we've accumulated over time. And I, I I don't think it was so it was it was the case again back in the 80s or the 90s or even the early 2000s. I don't think people were as aware of their biases in the work environment or just in general. So I think that is a great direction to take. I Remember in your first response, you actually hinted towards something, which is something I ask everyone on the show. So one of the quintessential questions that I ask is, did you have a flip switch moment where you realized that you were no longer just an employee or just a manager, you had become a leader. And I remember you pointed towards this, you hinted at this in your first response when you said you very quickly realized that, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a manager now. And I'm not just responsible for myself. I'm responsible for the results that my team delivers. So can you tell me a little about that? Do you, Did you have a specific moment where you had this realization?
1: Absolutely. Um, and I remember it vividly because um, it's when I first started um, in a role as a sales director. And um, what had happened is that um, some people, you know, I, I consider myself a people person, you know, I came from, uh, you know, customer service background. So I'm just a coordinator. And, you know, I came up through the ranks in these roles. And I always consider myself that, you know, I wasn't a special person, I'm just a regular person with a certain amount of responsibility. And, um, you know, I'm not like royalty or something that you can't, like, talk to me like a person. And, um What started to happen is that there were people that didn't want to talk to me anymore that I had relationships with that I had known. But once I became a director, they were less interested to talk to me on a social or personal level. And they're more like, oh, no, you're the management. I can't really express myself in the same way because I felt like you were more a peer when you're a manager. But now that you're a director, you know, you're part of them. And I was like, wow, this is really something right that like I can't have these candid conversations but I'm still the same person as you know I was before but now my role has changed and I'm being looked at differently and that you can't talk to me in the same way you can't just necessarily be as honest and say like oh, I didn't like this meeting we had the other day or something and so you might feel like there's a repercussion there but it was really important for me because then I started to realize like wow my messaging. Might have to be different too. That I have to be really thoughtful because you know there's this different level of expectation from even though I feel like I'm the same, I'm still the person, I'm Don Davis. I've been the same, you know, relatively the same, even though I'm growing and evolving. But um, I have this awareness now that I'm not being perceived the same way. People aren't reacting to me in this, interacting with me in the same way. And so, you know, what are the thoughts I I should have, and how should I be more mindful that this has happened? Um, versus like something I tried to drive myself and I didn't say like, aha, I'm a director now and you have to obey. I always thought I was going to be like this regular friendly guy and that I could just talk to people and like, no, this is, this change is happening whether I want it or not. You, when you took this position, you probably signed up for it. And it was really just a no, oh, wow, aha, flip switch moment for me that I had to be more mindful of like, wow, things are, things are different. And, um, it's important that I recognize this versus just trying to fight it um it 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 shouldn't be that alien to me that people start to behave in this way
0: so did you then reassert the the personality that you always wanted to have that no i'm still approachable this is still me don or did you did you step into a different kind of persona
1: well i i mean i've always tried to be a an approachable person have an open door policy Um, I've tried to be helpful. I mean, I think there's other things that you can do to convey to people. Uh, For example, you could be a listener because sometimes there's a time to talk and sometimes there's a time to listen. And um, if you come to me with a problem, but I'm the only one who's talking, I'm probably not helping you through that problem. Um, So I think there's different things you could do to try and make people feel more welcomed. Um, Because I think a lot of times, you know, leaders are, you know, it might be top down, it might be that they're too um, dominant in a conversation that they don't feel like they're getting something out of it. And I think those types of interactions make people maybe more cautious when they deal with leaders. So how can you invite people in? Um, so it just made me more aware that like, I have to be more thoughtful around how I interact with people and make them feel more comfortable, because I can't just think it like, oh, I'm a regular guy, you know, I'm nice, and you know, I'll just be friendly and say hi to people. And they're gonna feel like I'm welcoming and they can talk to me. Well, no, it's actual effort. And you have to think about how important those interactions what you have with people, whatever that touch point is, and be thoughtful of like, is this person gonna walk away and feel like, wow, that was really great? You know, I feel like, you know, they expressed empathy or they expressed that they um, are willing to listen or, you know, they didn't really say very much other than like, hey, I'm really glad to glad share that. Thank you. And we're gonna look at that. Like. What what was the interaction like?
0: I love that you're so self-aware and that you made this effort to not just rely on your natural charm and friendliness that you just had as a regular person, but you made an effort to figure out what parts of your personality to intentionally show in different situations, to intentionally amplify in different situations, to be able to lead better. It really reminds me of definitely all the classic mistakes I made when I was a leader and a people manager, because I think I missed I made every single mistake in the book, for sure. And there's this one picture that I keep looking at and I, 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 I write about it a lot. It was a day. It was a day where we had some filming in the office. Uh, I was a a filmmaker for seven years. So I led a small team, a video production team where we uh, created commercials for clients. And a lot of times we would just do our own filming, just showing how we work and made little vlogs and put them on YouTube. So it was a day where we had one of our team members filming the whole day. And I took a screen grab from one of the videos that he was taking of me working with my producer on a project and we were looking it over and discussing feedback. And in the entire interaction, my team member was sitting next to me. We were looking at the same computer and I was sitting like this. So for those of us listening, I was—I had my my head in my hand looking defeated And I looked like you could read my expression. It was, oh my God, I'm so tired. Can we just get it over with? And every time I look at that picture, I wonder what did my team member think? I was the the boss in that scenario. And that was the vibe I was giving. I was not being intentional at all. I was not thinking about her. The fact that I always need to be the the person who brings the right energy to the conversation who sets the right tone I was just exhausted close to being burnt out and I was showing it and I wasn't even aware of how my energy would rub off on someone else just things that a leader should not be doing so that really resonates with me what you said that you're you're the one who has to Set the tone. You're the one who has to listen more. You're the one who has to be more flexible if you're in a leading role.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think maybe what helped my perspective is that, you know, I mentioned like I went from, you know, having allies amongst the population and we would just talk openly about things. And I would get feedback about other leaders and things people didn't like about them. For example, They weren't listening uh for example i brought you a problem and i left with more work than i came in your office with like i came to bring i needed your help to solve something and you just gave me a bunch of tasks to do so so there are things that i had heard that other leaders were doing that would just frustrate people and so i became aware like oh yeah that's terrible and then at some point when people stopped talking to me about certain things then i'm like oh wow now i'm that guy now i'm in that seat now I have to be more mindful of how because am I doing these things to people? Um, and are they going to walk out of my office and say, like, you know, he, he he won't make time for me, you know, and everything else is more important than me he doesn't make time for his employees. And I mean, that was like one of the things I heard more than anything. And, you know, the shipping industry is a very lean organization, they don't have a lot of fat. And so it's very high mm-hmm. demand, high touch points on phone calls and things. and. You could easily fall into that trap where it's just like, I'm too busy to make time for my people. Um, but you really have to push yourself and say like, okay, you're here. This is important. I'm going to make myself available. And just by doing that, you start to win respect to people and say like, wow, this is really great because I feel like I can talk to this person as a person.
0: And I love that we all have these these molds, these, these reference points for both good leadership and bad leadership in our heads. You referred to this And when you were talking about the fact that you actually learned from the bad leaders that you've had. So in the spirit of having some fun, I wanted to ask you, can you tell us about the worst leader that you've ever had?
1: Wow. The worst leader I ever had. Um, That's a tough one because I think there's some, some characteristics of leaders that are up there. um, And Among those are when somebody is just like, doesn't want to be questioned, right? That you can't, like, I I think at my current company, we have this culture, we call it debate, decide, unite, you know, that you can ask anyone anything and you should be able to defend yourself. And I always appreciated that because if you don't like something I'm saying, then let's talk about it and let me understand that. And I should be able to defend myself um and and speak to why i'm saying what i'm saying or what i'm doing what i'm doing and if i can't then there's probably something flawed in that but there's some leaders who are like oh no 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 you don't understand i'm a vice president and you have to do what i tell you like you're pulling rank and i mean there's i'm trying to think of like what's worse than that that was always frustrating for me where it's like no i'm the boss obey um Or, you know, there's this uh, expression that people would say, like, the emperor has no clothes, which means that, like, what they're trying to, what they're doing isn't real, but nobody wants to tell them, you know, no one can, Mm -hmm. like, say that. And and it's those kinds of things where I think once you become disconnected with people and you just say, do as I say, and what's even worse is do as I say and not as I do, um, those types of things as a leader are really like horrible for your people. And, you know, you shouldn't be surprised when people won't necessarily rally around somebody or do like those extra things or like, hey, you know, I need, you you need help right now, I'm gonna make this happen. Um, They're instead gonna be very task-oriented and say like, yeah, just tell me what to do because you're gonna tell me anyway. There's really no benefit in me being creative or trying to help solve this problem because, again, it's this top-down mentality. And leaders I've seen like that, I think it's just you get a disengaged workforce and Mm -hmm. you're probably losing some of those benefits you could get where if you had the engagement that you would see a lot more production and efficiency.
0: And that's a great way of putting it that you have to stand by your words. You have to be the person who's not just saying all those fancy things, but actually someone who people can look at and say no actually this person they they actually follow through on it they actually you know preach uh they actually practice what they preach they actually know what they're talking about and it really gets my profession i think sometimes a bad rap because i help a lot of these leaders speak better i help mm-hmm. them you know, formulate the words they need to say and deliver them in the most impactful way, make sure that they're really showcasing their personality and of course their authority and thought leadership in different contexts. But it's up to them to come up with the right message in the first place. I used to be in PR where we actually wrote down everything that that the, the CEO had to say in a media interview and we would just feed them these words. And that's absolutely not what I advise now because the more you get into the habit of saying things that you haven't even written, the more of a disconnect there's going to be between what you're saying and what you actually end up doing. But the reason why I was talking about The industry then getting a bad rap is then people still associate these talks or presentations or media interviews that these leaders give with being fake in a lot of ways. Right. So how do you bring about that authenticity and create that connection with whoever you're talking to while still showing that there is substance behind the words, that's I don't know if that's something that you've that you've thought about because you also speak outside of your company. Right. You also speak yeah. as yourself, as a personal brand. And also, I, I'm i assuming also as a representative of your company.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's tricky. And I mean, I mean, look, I think it's hard going to be authentic if things are scripted. Right. I mean, then mm-hmm. it's just you're an actor at that point, And you're just saying, like, these are the words I'm going to play this role, you know, I'm. Um, Gonna have a certain sound, you know. I'm gonna have I don't know, Staten Island accent, and you know, I'm gonna uh, I don't know, have this persona, and that's how I'm gonna act. But then you're gonna meet me personally, like wow, you're totally different. Um, I mean, that's an extreme example, but I think, you know, how do you weave in those points? And to to me, I I think it's more plausible to say, you know let's try an education. First, let's talk about some of these topics, whether it's like empathy and vulnerability, which I think, like when I started the industry, nobody was talking about vulnerability or empathy, that was like a sign of weakness, you know, and Mm -hmm. like, I'm so glad to see how emotional intelligence is involved in a workplace, because um, it's a lot more prevalent. I mean, we're talking about mental health issues. Now, I mean, you know, when I started an in industry, no one was talking about mental health and these kinds of things. And so mm-hmm. to me, I think when I think about this topic, I would love to think. And again, you can call me naive. It's, it's fine. Maybe I am. But I would like to see us do more of an education and like, hey, you know what? Why don't you watch this show by Brene Brown and listen to her talk about like vulnerability yeah. and like dare to lead and, you know, read her book. And, and let's come back and let's talk after you hear what they have to say. And and then let's talk about messaging. You know, I'd like to believe that's a more authentic path because now you're like educating because, you know, I think the more we're like scripting and things, and I'm glad to hear that that that's like getting away from that. Because I think the more scripting we do, we're just sort of like masking these real issues to say like, well, I'm just saying these things. I don't really believe them, but Mm -hmm. I'm just saying them. And that's a pity. I think people in leadership roles, you know, I said it earlier that you have a responsibility as a leader and you have a responsibility to be thoughtful to your audience to say, if I'm sharing my vision as an example of like what we're going to do, but I'm doing it in a way where I'm alienating half my team because I'm deciding to use like jokes and uh, sports metaphors and things, you know, that I can connect with the female part of my team, and I probably didn't, or there might even be like turned off, like, ugh, I like this guy, you know, he's just so wrapped up in these male ideas, and you know, I, that to me is a failure. You know, I have a responsibility, but you know, how do you get to that willingness? I mean, I think it's through education and awareness. I think it's through us mm-hmm. talking about as a leader. So I would challenge those as leaders to say like, listen, if we really want to be effective, we should be educated and we should understand these issues and really understand why, you know, if I'm being given a script, why am I being told to say these things? Because I think there's some coaching and developing you should do, but it really shouldn't be a script. It should be more of an education.
0: I love that you brought up Brené Brown and the power of vulnerability because the more we speak in public now, I feel like there is this very very direct connection that you can draw between showing vulnerability, showing the what really goes on behind the scenes and creating that trust. And you create that trust with the audience, that's what makes you impactful. So, it's now clearer than ever that people don't want these perfect, shiny people that are putting up appearances. It's the same with with celebrities, it's the same with personal brands, and it's definitely the same with leaders, CEOs, C-level execs. No one wants this larger than life, absolutely perfect person because now we are very aware. We were always aware, but somehow, I don't know, we, we just let it slide, but now we know that no one is perfect. So if you have someone who's actually talking to us on the same level, like we're human and showing that, oh, things are not really perfect. This are the mistakes that I've made and this is what we're doing about it. It is a thousand times more impactful than saying canned words that are beautifully written that show absolutely zero personality, zero vulnerability and create zero trust.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that, like if you go back to like the 60s, and I wasn't born in the 60s, but uh, my my parents were around then. And I think there was a lot more of an obedient culture, you know, that it was just more like very hierarchical. And maybe this is a hangover from, you know, these, these times of royalties and things like that, mm-hmm. that it was, I, things were very hierarchical. But I think it's, you know, I'm not stepping too far out of bounds to say, like it was an obedient culture that you just sort of mm-hmm. obey and there's this hierarchy there. And I think the one benefit of like having all this technology with social media and being able to express yourself is I think it's exposed that a lot of people feel the same way about a lot of things. And it's like, Oh, you didn't believe that either. Oh, good, because I didn't. And now that that becomes more of the norm, is that like, no, 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 that wasn't believable. I it doesn't resonate with me, because it's impossible. No one's that perfect. No one is, is living this fairy tale lifestyle, the fairy tale isn't true. And so now that it like distorts your believability that's impactful and now it's like oh wait a minute now you don't even it creates distrust like you don't think i'm an authentic person so um i think that's one thing that's just evolved over time but but certainly today there's a lot less tolerance for this like fakeness that it's like Mm -hmm. oh this is too good to be true and i'm gonna call it out and i think that's very healthy but I think people need to recognize that and say, like, okay, you know, again, part of this being an authentic person is being able to be vulnerable and um, demonstrate some level of empathy. I think that that messaging is is getting out there more, and I'm I'm excited to see things change in that direction.
0: It requires being bold on the part of the the leader who is used to putting up a very specific front, especially with their team, if they're or in, within their company if they're used to that very specific model of leadership where they have to you know be the one who's presenting themselves a certain way you know wearing a suit and tie and and being very either structured and formal or at least very polished it really presents a challenge to them if they're looking to be more public and outward facing and if they carry that same persona over they're really not going to be resonating with the people that they're speaking with so i think it's, it's 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 a mental challenge i think that they have to really overcome one of the one of the things that i really love about um this uh, this president uh well my president because i i became french last year so um the the french president uh, emmanuel macron he is really trying, you can see, to appeal to all kinds of demographics, specifically Gen Z. So he does a lot of YouTube and social media stuff, more than I've seen other presidents do. And he had this whole campaign where he wanted YouTubers to create awareness about the vaccine and about the COVID vaccine. And he had this competition going about whoever creates uh, the, the best video that gets the most views gets an interview with the president. And that definitely happened. He went on this YouTube show with these two YouTubers and he was like, I'm here, we can talk about anything. And it wasn't a political interview. It was like, uh, I, I forgot the name of the the game that they played, but it was like, um, I think it was like Two Truths and a Lie. So they're oh, just okay. sitting there playing Two Truths and a Lie with the president of the country. And as I was watching that, I was like, even seven or eight years ago, I couldn't I cannot couldn't have imagined this happening with the president of a country. Just just him doing things like that. I know I I, I don't go into his politics, but just someone who is the figurehead of a whole country doing something like that is is really indicative of the times.
1: Yeah. And I love that story because it makes the president seem human, you know, before they seem yeah. like they're another level and untouchable, like I can't relate to this person. And to be like, I mean, we're all humans at the end of the day, right? So I mean, yeah, I think it's very refreshing to have those reminders where they're someone's acting in a way that feels relatable. And it's like, oh, I play that game too. And um, I think having that connection, I mean, connection to people is really super important. And it's really cool to see that because I think it's just a demonstration of like, thinking is changing, and I want to connect with people. And um, I hope people can kind of learn from that and think of like, wow, don't don't focus on like creating the YouTube video. And you know, that's how you get the most views. Focus on how do I connect with the people I'm trying to connect to right? And like, what am I after? Is there a segment I'm not I'm not connecting with? And I think the step one is asking for feedback. I mean, I think that's like when you talk about vulnerability, some people don't want feedback because it's like, oh, I don't want to know what people think. But I think if, if you can ask for feedback and say like, hey, what did you think? But is it Like, no, it didn't feel like for this or that reason. Well, then you mm-hmm. can identify that this may be a problem spot. Maybe I need to focus on that as I evolve as a leader so that the next time I'm presented in this scenario, I can I can connect with those people that might not have felt that before.
0: That's a great point. Do you have people uh, around you, you know, perhaps mentors or people that you look up to, people whose opinions you respect, who will always give you direct, honest feedback?
1: So, you know, this is a funny topic because I've gone out of my way um, to get feedback. Um, and this really stems from, um, you know, we have this uh, women and shipping group at my company and. um We've talked about how it's a male dominated industry. And um, you know, we we've we've talked a few times about like what I need to do as a male leader. And it's I feel like I've been asking for feedback, but was I asking the women in my office for feedback? Did I specifically do that? Did I ask more than one person? Or did I just mm-hmm. ask who is around me who might be my friends, who might be male? And so, you know, it's taken some effort, but now I have some good groups on a peer level, but also in different levels of the organization, that I want to get their feedback and say, like, Hey, what would you think of that town hall? Like, was it? Was it great? And sometimes they said, you know, what stuck out to me is that women were noticeably absent from presenting. And I'm like, you know what, you're 100% right. That's a big miss. We have to fix that. Like, if you don't feel like because because then what it says is like, well, these leadership roles are unattainable for women. And that's not true. But it feels that way. So I think it's it's, again, as a leader, you just have to be willing to ask for feedback on different levels of the, the organization. And the peers, if they were presenting, they'll maybe maybe like high fiving and thinking that was great. But did, did, is that what your audience felt like? And you really need to ask them because if it's not, then it might have been a miss, and you might be able to do a better job the next time.
0: Intentional inclusion is definitely something that needs to be done more. I'm glad that now, you know, DEI is a thing. It it, it wasn't 10 years ago. It, 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 people weren't making an intentional effort to include more women. And just like you said, simply ask the question, where are the women? If that question right. just gets asked in more rooms around the world, everything would look very, very different. It, We've all, yeah.
1: I, I just want to make a point there, though, because I think what... The, the the part I reflected on is like, you know what? I shouldn't have needed to ask the audience for that. We should have said it to ourselves. And that's where it's like, we have to do a better job. Like next time, before we even like have a town hall, let's make sure that we're being able to do this, including women in our presentation versus like letting it get to the audience and me having to ask somebody. But I think that's really learning and evolution there when when it's like, oh yeah, you told me, I I reacted to it. I didn't need you to tell me again.
0: And earlier you mentioned something about sports analogies and how you became aware of speaking a certain way that you had been used to speaking in, but then becoming aware that, oh, perhaps the words that I'm using, the vocabulary, the examples, the analogies might be very catered to a male audience. Are there changes that you made in the way that you spoke, in the way that you speak now? Do you are you now aware of the environment and the audience and how do you how do you actually in a practical sense try to be more inclusive when you speak
1: um yeah that's a good question and i do enjoy a metaphor as much as uh, anybody else um and i think it helps visualize to your audience point you're trying to convey and you're trying to create some relatability say you know when you do this and um to me it's more about like okay if i use the expression monday morning quarterback what do i really mean well what i really mean is that i i can it's a lot easier for me to lead something with the benefit of hindsight and i can talk about it the next day and like have all this expertise okay that's what i meant are there different examples or are there 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 are different ways i can convey this and i might just want to say you know what everyone's an expert with the benefit of hindsight and that is something that feels like more relatable because if I just say Monday morning quarterback, you know, not everybody knows what that means. Mm-hmm. And you know what, when I was a young kid, I didn't know what that meant either. You know, I had to like figure it out like, Oh, I see what you mean. But the point is, you know, there's a way to express it. I think you just have to be thoughtful and say like, okay, mm-hmm. everybody, let's kill the sports analogies. Okay. If you're watching a football game, fine, use your sports analogies. But and when you're in leadership, um, Um, environments, let's skip the sports analogies. And let's think about, let's just do the work to say this is what we're trying to say. And let's express it in a way that everyone can understand versus somebody who says, well, this is a little inside baseball, but I'm going to share this with you. And they're like, I don't know what they're going to say next. (laughs) I have no idea where that's going. (laughs) And instead of saying like, okay, this is like an insider secret, I'm going to share this with you that you might like, oh, okay, that's much easier to consume. And I think Really, if you want to be an effective communicator, you should really be thinking about, wow, there's people I'm not including because of the way I'm speaking.
0: And the more that you move to bigger roles, bigger stages, bigger audiences, more multicultural audiences, the more you have to be aware of words that you're saying that might have a very specific significance to only a group of people. So when I moved to China, for example, I couldn't talk the way that I was talking back in the US or back in Pakistan. I had to make things simpler. I had to make sure that I even spoke a little bit slower and enunciated more than I would normally so that I would be understood. And like you said, that is the point of all of this to be clear, to be understood, to be relatable and you can't achieve that if you're in your head and you're not adjusting at all to the audience to the environment and the in the manner that you're speaking. And before we go I would love to talk a little bit more about your speaking, your public speaking. Tell me a little about um the times that you have spoken in public over the years and how that has shaped the way that you speak.
1: Well, I mean, I think um you know, first of all, public speaking didn't come naturally to me. Like I didn't really want to do that. Um, but as like things evolved in my life, it became clear to me that that was like part of it. And your ability to speak um, was important and and a great way to get a message out there. Um, and, you know, there were uh, a few different occasions where, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be involved in a few projects and work groups. And, um, you know, at at first I was more of a listener. And then later in life, I became the presenter. And um, there were a lot of takeaways that I came as a, as a, um, as a listener versus, you know, when I was a presenter, I just started to, there were some things that really started to click. And to be honest, what made the most impression on me were the things I didn't like. So for example, um, people that weren't engaging when they were public speaking, that they weren't trying to pull in the audience um, in terms of like having a discussion or having a thought or asking for validation, you know, are you asking people to like show some sign that they understand what they're saying? Or is it just, you know, death by PowerPoint? I'm just like, click, click, click. And I'm presenting in a way like you don't care if I'm like taking anything away. And mm-hmm. I can remember there were, there were people that were speaking and I would sit there and I would look around the, the room and I would say to myself, now what do I think anyone remembered from what they said? Like what, 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 what are they, what do you, what was the takeaway here? And you know what? I, it was like the next day I would, it was forgettable. I'm like, Hey, do you remember yeah. that presentation? Like what stuck out to you? They're like, It was long, like um, there was no interaction, like it was nothing to do with the content. It was more about the experience. And so these kinds of things were, were important to me of like, okay, how do I create something that's engaging? Well, I'm gonna ask questions. And maybe it's like, not even a question that you're gonna answer. It might be a bit of a rhetorical question, but it's gonna get you thinking to create that engagement with my audience so that it's establishing this rate of relatability because again, like some of the feedback I was getting from people was like, you know, how awful is it that you have to listen to someone talk for half an hour and you take away nothing except I was bored. I I couldn't connect. Mm -hmm. Like there's too much material. It's very long. Like all these things are really (laughs) negative. So um, again, there were a lot of things in my life that, uh, you know, I drew, drew from, but first as an audience member, then, you know, checking in with other people And then as a presenter, like, what can I do? Am I avoiding these things? And I was sensitive to those things like, okay, I have a lot of slides. I'm not going to read them to you. I'm just going to touch on them. I'll send you the deck. You can read it yourself. But there's like two points I want to take away from this slide. And so they're just just things I did. I've done over time that I've learned from. And that doesn't mean I've got it all figured out. There are thousands of ways I can improve. But I think it's just that consistency to ask for feedback and, and see what people think about what you're presenting. And maybe, you know what, it was awesome, but did you ask anybody if they felt like it was awesome? And what did they say about it? And and that's really is the point of validation. Like who cares what I think, it matters what you think, because you're the audience, I'm trying to get something, I'm trying to share something with you and you, are you picking up on that or not?
0: I love this because it's exactly what I tell people that you are not there to deliver the PowerPoint. Your PowerPoint can be an email. If all you're there is to just click through the next slide and just tell us what's on the slide, you're there to deliver your message and you have to use whatever tools you can to do that. And I love that you talked about the fact that people remember what they felt. It's like the, the Maya Angelou quote, right? People will forget what you say. People will forget what you did, but they will remember how you made them feel and It's actually really important to think that, to know that invoking these feelings in people is not just a fluff exercise. It's not just something you do to be nice. You invoke these feelings while you're speaking so that the feelings then become a vehicle for them to remember your message because they will remember if they felt something, if they felt nothing, like you said, they're going to forget or they're going to remember the feeling of being incredibly bored and wasting an hour or, or half an hour of their time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think some people try and do too much, you know, they're just like, okay, I can put all my thoughts into a deck. I can put it up in front of everyone and they're just going to consume it and remember it. And it's like, listen, you know, it, it would be nice, but you just can't download it on people. You have to yeah. be thoughtful. And uh, I think there's a lot of lessons to be learned there.
0: Yes. Yeah. Maybe, maybe one day when we're all living in the matrix.
1: Yeah, I mean, right. Exactly.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much, Don. Thank you for sharing all your insights, your incredible journey, and just the way that you, you think about life and leadership. I really enjoyed listening to that. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, great. It was a lot of fun to be on the show. I really appreciate uh, being able to share and uh, I had a great time. So thanks for having me on.
0: Thank you. Would you like to tell our audience where they can find you if they want to contact you, if they want to get in touch?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, the easiest way is uh, through email. Um, you can reach me at donald.davis at Um, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, Donald Davis, I work at Nicex. Um, should be able to find me pretty easily. And uh, yeah, you can DM me if you want to contact me or send me an email, whatever works. Uh, I'm around.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Don. It was just such a pleasure having you on the Speak as a Leader podcast. Thank you.
1: Yeah, thanks. I really enjoyed it.
0: That's the end of the episode, but you and I can keep talking. If you have a lot of expertise and deep knowledge, but you're not sharing it, you're not setting yourself up for growth. I teach you how to be your most impactful self on camera or on stage so you can open doors for your business through building your personal brand. Find out how at www.speakasaleader.com. That's speakasaleader.com. And if you liked listening to this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform that you're listening on so that more people can discover us see you in the next episode till then speak fearlessly